Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today, we continue our series, Winning Spiritual Battles, because we use our spiritual weapons. As we seek to run well the race marked out for us, this calling means advancing the righteous reign of King Jesus in our own hearts, attitudes, and behavior, not to mention shaping each sphere of life with Christ's agenda. But it's very easy to think, who am I to spread righteousness anywhere? Whoever thinks that's my job in life doesn't understand the corruption of my heart and the weakness of my flesh. But it is Christ who told his followers to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus calls us to this primary life focus, knowing the weakness of our sinful nature because his plan has never been for us to seek righteousness in our own strength, but in his. He tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. This episode tries to define in practical terms how to put on the helmet of salvation and how that protects us in the fight to do the right thing. for joining us today for season number two, episode number 17 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. A few years ago, I was sitting in the stands watching some of the finest moments in my son's collegiate football career. Playing the rover position, sort of a combination safety linebacker, he had stopped the opposing ball carrier for no gain. The next play, he chased down the tailback on a sweep for a loss. A few plays later, he met the fullback right in the hole at the line of scrimmage for no gain. But my son didn't get up. The running back had ducked his head just as Josh hit him in a helmet-to-helmet collision. Josh had a concussion that kept him in a dark, quiet dorm room for three days and out of football for weeks. The main purpose of helmets, whether in sports, in battle, or in work situations, like construction sites, is to protect the brain from injury. The brain must be fiercely protected because once the brain is damaged, body functions also get damaged. That is why the NFL is investing millions in helmet design. Most recently, I read, studying God's design of woodpeckers. This medical reality is also the reason behind the helmets worn by the Roman legions. They did not want their soldiers concussed and therefore controlled by fuzzy vision and confused thinking. Paul tells Christians that our salvation is like a helmet, protecting us from fuzzy, confused thinking. But how does the helmet of salvation do that? And what does it mean to take up the helmet of salvation over and over? We don't have to keep asking Christ to come into our lives over and over again. Some commentators envision the helmet's protection of the brain to be protecting our thinking, the process by which God's Word renews our minds. Indeed, spiritual warfare is very much about the thoughts that capture our mind. 
in 2 Corinthians 10, we're told that we have divine power to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. But in the text we're studying, the next piece of armor Paul will mention is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, by which Jesus took every thought captive when he fought Satan. So when Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, he's not talking about the general need to renew our mind in this verse. He is talking about how understanding salvation in particular protects our minds. An important clue in understanding Paul's teaching on the armor of God is realizing that Paul is as influenced by Isaiah's writing about the armor of God as by the Roman soldiers guarding him, if not more. The verses that impacted Paul concerning the helmet of salvation are from chapter 59, verses 15 through 17 in Isaiah. This overall section describes God's decision to himself bring salvation for mankind. It starts with a description of man's evil in verse 15. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Then we have God's observation that man can't save himself. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then we have his solution. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. This text uses the same expression Paul used, helmet of salvation. The whole point to the Isaiah 59 text is that salvation for Adam's race cannot come from another human. God himself must provide salvation from sin and its consequences. God himself will be the Messiah who wears the helmet of salvation and breastplate of righteousness. So, taking up the helmet of salvation is a reference to the reality that salvation from sin comes by grace alone through Christ alone. Think of what Paul has already said in this same letter about salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember, the purpose of a helmet is to protect the brain. So what Paul is saying is that in some way, the reality that salvation from sin comes by grace alone, through Christ alone, protects our thinking as Christians. I believe this is the truest understanding of taking the helmet of salvation. Let me try to say this another way. The one to whom the helmet of salvation belongs in Scripture is only Christ, Isaiah 59, 17. But we get to wear the helmet because of grace, because we are in Christ, dependent upon him for every aspect of salvation. So the helmet of salvation to which Paul refers is the protective truth surrounding our thinking that salvation is from Christ and not from us. To see how this truth can protect our thinking, 
Let's consider three component parts to our salvation. Remember, it's the helmet of salvation. First, salvation means we are saved from the penalty of sin. The Greek word for salvation, soteria, includes deliverance from God's just wrath upon all lawbreakers, separating them from his holy presence and consigning them justly to destruction in hell. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. The salvation story is the reality that we ourselves are destitute sinners whose only hope is God's mercy. God himself must save us. How does surrounding our daily thinking with the helmet of salvation then protect us? First, it protects us from thinking we are too dirty for God to want a relationship with. In Luke 5, after spending a whole night finding no fish, Peter sees Jesus miraculously fill his nets. Luke reports, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I have found that many men struggling with lust feel the same way. Lord, I know you love me and forgive me because Christ died for my sins, but you are holy. My lust is so repulsive, it makes me disgusting to you. Depart from me, Lord. I'll be back to see you after I've proved that I really am sorry for my sin by getting a few wins under my belt. But putting the helmet of salvation on means knowing that only Christ can make us holy. We are declared righteous. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. And Christ's righteousness is not so incomplete that we have to add a little of our own. The truth about our salvation is that we are far more flawed than our lust proves, while at the same time we are far more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. Henry Cloud and John Townsend write, When we finally understand that God isn't mad at us anymore, we become free to concentrate on love and growth instead of trying to appease him. A mother named Maria understood the principle that feeling dirty might drive someone away from those who love her. Her 15-year-old daughter, Christiana, had run away from home to the big city. Maria knew Christiana would turn to prostitution to support herself. She also knew that when Christiana did so, she would feel too dirty and disgusting to think her mom and family would ever want a relationship with her again. So Maria threw some clothes in a bag, gathered all her money, and bought a bus ticket for Rio de Janeiro. She stopped by the drugstore to take as many pictures of herself as she could afford. Maria visited every hotel, nightclub, or bar where prostitutes hung out. At each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror or tacked to a hotel bulletin board. On the back of each photo, she wrote a note. But before long, Maria was out of photos and money. So brokenhearted, she returned home. A few weeks later, young Christiana descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her big brown eyes no longer danced with the laughter of youth, but spoke of pain and fear. She longed to trade these countless beds for the secure pallet of her bedroom at home. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. There on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. 
Christiana's eyes blurred with tears as she crossed the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Putting on the helmet of salvation means remembering that God's arms are always open to us, like the arms of the father who runs to throw his arms around the prodigal son. Second, the helmet of salvation protects us from judging others. Jesus, of course, taught, Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Taking up the helmet of salvation means remembering the rock from under which I was dug. That my salvation is all about God's incredible mercy for me. I have a whole forest of timber in my eyes compared to another speck. When the flaws and sinfulness of others wound me or make my life more difficult, my own desperate need for God's mercy surrounds and protects my mind from impatience, anger, retaliation, or bitterness. Third, the helmet of salvation protects me from apathy toward the poor, the outcast, the hurting. Let's think for a moment about the Good Samaritan. We read the story in Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Let's consider this story from a slightly different perspective. How does this relate to putting on the helmet of salvation? We are the wounded man. We lay helpless and bankrupt, dying in the road. Christ, who is our natural enemy because he is God who hates evil, who owes us nothing, shows great mercy for us. He stops and gives us of his riches and saves us. When we realize we're the one in need of mercy, we better understand the gospel of grace. Christians who receive mercy must be drawn with compassion to those who need mercy. There are two powerful effects that the gospel of grace has on a person who has been touched by it, writes Tim Keller. First, the person who knows that he has received mercy, while an undeserving enemy of God, will have a heart of love for even and especially the most difficult and ungrateful persons. When a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, the refugee, he knows that he is looking in a mirror. The second major effect that the gospel of grace has on a person is that it creates spontaneous 
generosity. My salvation story is that he who was rich emptied himself so that I, who am poor, might be rich. This truth that is foundational to the salvation story is a helmet that protects me from apathy for those broken by sin. Everyone to whom much has been given, of him much will be required, said our Master. Salvation means not only that we are saved from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. Fourth, putting on the helmet of salvation protects us from passivity and laziness. Why is that? Well, the salvation story was never just that those who put their faith in Christ are saved from the penalty of their sin and go to heaven when they die. Such a mistaken understanding leads to a neglect of Christ's call to discipleship, the call to enjoy a personal relationship with him right now, the call to become like him in this life, the call to spread the kingdom of righteousness over our sphere of earth. The word salvation refers to the truth that believers are being saved from the power of sin in this life. Justification is a one-time act that saved us from sin's punishment Sanctification is the ongoing process of saving us from sin's power. Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I am called to pursue God's goal for my life, holiness of character. Salvation is not just spiritual retirement. It is pressing on towards our upward call in Christ Jesus to be like him. Fifth, putting on the helmet of salvation protects us from neglecting our relationship with God. The helmet of salvation is the reality that Jesus is the only one with the power to save me from sin's destructive power. We must depend upon him every day. Jesus precedes his marching orders to the church to make disciples with a very important historic fact about our power for discipleship. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It is only in the power of Christ that I can surrender to Christ's kingly rule over my heart loyalties, heart attitudes, and the other spheres of my life. After Christ ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be holy. But the only way the spiritual fruit of godliness is produced is by abiding in Christ, because he is the vine, and we are the branches. Salvation not only means we are saved from the penalty and power of sin, but ultimately saved from the presence of sin, which leads us to number six. Putting on the helmet of salvation protects us from despair when evil wins. The third aspect of the word salvation refers to our future hope. The biblical word for hope does not imply uncertainty, as the English word does. Our hope is certain, but it is future. Before penning the verses we're studying in Ephesians, Paul had written to the Thessalonians, Let us be sober, having put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. Here, Paul had referred to this third part of salvation the final return of Christ, when all of creation will be set free from its bondage to sin and restored. 
We're given a glimpse of this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. John's vision of the new heaven and the new earth is breathtaking. God's people are adorned as a bride for his son, clothed in righteousness. God, whose presence dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple of old, will be present with them to satisfy their hearts with the ecstasy of his immediate presence. They will see him face to face. Sorrows will be turned to joy, mourning and pain wiped from memory, thirst will be quenched without cost. During this church aid, evil will triumph at times, then be driven back and then triumph back and forth. But taking up the helmet of salvation is remembering that sin's utter defeat will take place one day. The proof of that, argued Paul, was Christ's resurrection. That is why he closed his chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, with the words, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. To summarize this episode, taking up the helmet of salvation does not just mean protecting our minds from unbiblical thinking. Rather, it is to allow the reality of our salvation to be a lens over our thinking. This episode tries to do that by examining the three tenses of salvation. We are saved from the punishment of past sins, being saved from the power of sin right now, and being saved from the presence of sin in the future when the moral cancer sin and its devastating effects will be no more. The helmet of salvation protects me from thinking I'm too dirty for God to love, from judging others because I am myself desperate for God's mercy, and from apathy toward the outcast and hurting, since I am the recipient of such great mercy. Reaching out to those in need of mercy can be a test of the genuineness of my faith. Realizing that salvation means becoming holy in character Putting on the helmet of salvation protects us from passivity because our master's desire is for us to grow in Christ-likeness and motivates us to walk closely with Christ. Finally, putting on the helmet of salvation reminds us of the day to come when sin shall be no more and everything broken by sin will be renewed. For further prayerful thought, number one, why does taking up the helmet of salvation mean something different from just thinking biblically about stuff? 
See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we continue the series entitled Winning Spiritual Battles Because We Use Our Spiritual Weapons with some practical tips for wielding the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. If this podcast series on using our spiritual weapons has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about the series and the podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out. (music) 